I wandered through life for a long time without even knowing what my mission was. It was there, but I had never thought about it. And suddenly I realized that um, what we are doing, and I talked to we in applied human sciences, and I'm speaking for myself, but this is what I think it is, is to simply create happiness. Mm. And so what we do uh, as our major goal, and this goes back to Aristotle, who uh, I can't quote directly, but uh, said that the major purpose of life is to create happiness. So my mission is to create happiness for myself, for my family, for my students, um, for anybody who, who I touch. Alpha Relations, driving change forward. Hey, welcome oh back to the next episode of Alpha Relations. We have a very special guest in-house, well, virtually in-house with us today. We have Mr. Randy Swedberg, a former professor at Concordia University in, from the Applied Human Sciences Department, but also, and correct me if I'm wrong, Randy, but you were our first chair of the department. Is that correct? First chair of Applied Human Sciences. That's right. Yes. That's right. Well, Randy, welcome to Alpha Relations. Let's give it up for the man. Let's go. Welcome. Randy, thank you for joining us today. Um, It's a beautiful day. You know, it's even better. Like you're with us. You're all smiles. You're feeling comfortable. And that just makes my day already. And we haven't even started this. So what we like to do at the beginning of all of our interviews is just the groundwork for to give you the next couple minutes just to tell us about who Randy Swedberg is. So where are you coming from? Uh, how did it lead? Uh, how did your background, I believe, in leisure, which uh, we would love you to give us all the, the juicy details about take you to Concordia, but just tell us how you want to tell us. Well, in a couple of minutes, that's a, that's a challenge, but an easy thing to do. Oh, boy. Let's uh, hear it. <laughs> I uh, have been a professor since hmm, the late 60s wow and yeah wow (laughs) when you say that you think oh and i've been learning along the way uh, many different things i've been a teacher a coach a um, administrator within the university and was uh, a part of starting what it was known is known as Elder Hostel Canada. So dealing with the older adults long before I was considered to be an older adult. <laughs> but the, um, the real prize in my history was being instrumental in uh, putting together applied human sciences, which is the results of two uh, departments that had their roots in the 1960s and 1970s when Concordia was still Sir George Williams and uh, Loyola College. And um, 
that has turned out far, far better than uh, anyone ever anticipated. And it's a source of, of real joy to see what's happening today and to chat with um, graduates or about to be graduates like you who, um, who get it, what this is all about. And I'm going to stop there, but, you know, I could just ramble. Uh, <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. Um, that's, uh, so you talked about that, that foundation and it exceeding, you know, your expectations and being like the, the crown jewel, you know, um, what was that like at the time? And perhaps maybe walk us through the buildup, you know, knowing the fact that you've, you've been teaching, you know, since the, the late sixties, you know, where did this idea come from to merge the two departments, right? And what was, what was the vision uh, at the time? Well, your um, uh, byline is driving change forward. That's right. And as I thought <laughs> about that, it, it's interesting that uh, that has a positive ring to it from the way you meant it. But not all uh, changes are positive. And um, the creation of uh, Applied Human Sciences came from a negative, which was the government of Quebec cut back university funding in the uh, middle 1990s, extreme cutbacks, which caused all universities to hunt for ways of how are we gonna do this? Mm. to uh, survive. And so um, smaller departments uh, in the university, Concordia, were um, looked at as, okay, uh, what can we do? These uh, departments aren't traditional departments in the university. They don't have the same history as the hard sciences or the humanities, and um, maybe something can be done with this. This is the administration speaking. So mm -hmm. there were six, six departments that got together and started chatting because of affinities that uh, the people in those departments felt they had. And we were among that those two departments at the time applied social sciences and what was known as leisure studies. Those were the two of the six. And we met and talked and chatted for a long time and came up with uh, some uh, things that we had in common. But as the chats went on, um, four of the other departments decided that they didn't quite fit with uh, what was being discussed, but uh, leisure studies and applied uh, social sciences had a great fit because we were um, applied, which is a key word in the name of the department, right. and uh, had the same interest in which was um, making life better for human beings. So we pulled it together and we didn't know how it was gonna go, but uh, at the time we had a Dean who was just beginning his term 
and he was a visionary and uh, he looked at the statistics and said, wow, these two small departments are uh, attracting excellent students and we're not able to admit those students because they're so small. So we were asked, if we support you, will you admit more students? And of course, universities are funded by the government based upon the number of students. Mm -hmm. So we attracted uh, excellent students and more of them. And uh, that funding allowed us to grow and do new and different things and become, <clears throat> excuse me, what you see today. Wow. Wow. That's so, crazy. Um, you are in human relations mm -hmm. and what you're doing here uh, talks about uh, human relations, listening to a few of your previous podcasts, they're, they're focused on that, but the department uh, is broader than that. And mm -hmm. uh, so, as you mentioned in your introduction, my uh, background was in um, the study of leisure, um, which is not much different than uh, the study of human relations, because after all, mm -hmm. uh, people at leisure are uh, uh, creating opportunities to um, socially relate to one another mm -hmm. um, in an atmosphere where they're free. And that's, you know, one of the things about um, leisure or leisure is that uh, there's the freedom to be. So there's a lot more about how applied human sciences grew um, if you understand the university, uh, teaching, research, and service are uh, the three cornerstones of what universities do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, academic freedom, which at this point in time in uh, our um, culture is being tested and questioned, um, is the cornerstone so that... Uh, Researching people mm -hmm. is a fascinating um, thing, fascinating area, because it's ever-changing. And uh, I would say that uh, what's happening in uh, applied human sciences and in the research going on with, with how people uh, behave and interact is uh, one of the most important things in our society. Mm -hmm. We're being overwhelmed with technology. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, right now, we're meeting virtually, which has become the way things go. So the human uh, side of it is being tested. So you're um, um, driving change forward uh, is uh, needs to take a little uh, side trip to look at, okay, what's happening to us because of technology driving mm -hmm. uh, change forward and what's happening to human beings? Um, where is the uh, interaction and 
that's not going to change. One thing uh, that's not going to change because of technology is human beings need mm -hmm. for um, relationships. Mm -hmm. And um, so there's a big challenge for our field um, that's uh, in the, at the forefront of society right now, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. That was great. I, I love what you did just there, tying that all together. And I agree with you, Randy. I, I agree seeing how you know, technology um, and regarding, you know, human interaction is, um, it is the challenge of our time. You know, um, yes, we progress, you know, each day something new happens. And uh, we've been one year into this pandemic, a little over that now. And to be completely honest, uh, I don't think this, this podcast we have here would have gotten started because of the confines of the situation. And it all, you know, blossomed with the tech. Um, here we are, we're using Zoom, something else didn't work before. And we're thinking, oh, how are we going to like, you know, manifest our interaction? And then we find our alternatives. But um, I think it's uh, because we still have that need, you know, like we're, uh, uh, I remember getting off the phone with you just now. And to be completely honest, Alex and Luca were just like, oh, no, don't tell us he canceled the interview. We can't do it now because of the difficulties. Uh, and I said, no, no, we're, we're finding a new means here, you know, in order to have our conversation, in order to, to, to find that way forward. And I think that is that is the fun. That is the challenge. And that is the ultimately that's learning. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. My, my research area included lifelong learning and, uh, you know, I'm well into my uh, older adulthood and I'm learning every day. And um, right now, this is a learning experience for me because I have never been on a podcast before. First time um, for everything. As, <laughs> yes. And on your website, you talk about First time podcast, not going to be good. <laughs> so, so I'm hoping that that's, that's not the truth. But uh, I, as I read that, I was thinking uh, I gave a keynote speech to uh, a group of uh, shareholders for a major corporation here in uh, Montreal one time. And as I was waiting for things to begin, people were milling around and I was with them and uh, Nobody knew who I was, and I didn't know who they were. One of the people near me said, hi. He said, do you know who this guy is? And he says, I sure hope he's good. So <laughs> I looked at him, and I didn't tell him that I was this guy. <laughs> but um, this morning, I'm this guy, and I sure hope this is good. <laughs> so, so far, it's great, Randy. I already know. I already mm -hmm. know. So um, our cornerstones in applied human sciences are psychology and sociology. Mm -hmm. uh, psychology, the study of people, behavior, and sociology, the study of the way people behave in groups. Mm -hmm. What's really different about applied human sciences is that first word, applied, because we take what we know, what we understand about human behavior and try to apply it to uh, um, understanding how people uh, behave and what, what we can do to ameliorate any situation or in fact, 
it doesn't have to be a negative situation. It can be just to make life better mm-hmm. for human beings. And uh, change, I keep going back to change because that's your thing. Change, um, as we observe it, uh, recent elections, and I don't know how many to go back now, the uh, people who are not in power have been saying, we're, we want to make uh, be elected so we can make changes. Well, if that's the just making change for the sake of making change is not a good goal. Mm-hmm. It has to be has to be something that um, has meaning and purpose, and and then there's a reason why we're trying to do this. I agree. I ha- I did have uh, a thought also. Go for it about my uh, my personal mission. Oh, okay. Mm. All right. We know what you're talking about here in terms of the idea. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So um, I wandered through life for a long time without even knowing what my mission was. It was there, but I had never thought about it. And suddenly I realized that um, what we are doing and I talk to we in applied human sciences, and I'm speaking for myself, but this is what I think it is, is to simply create happiness. Mm. And so what we do uh, as our major goal, and this goes back to Aristotle, who uh, I can't quote directly, but uh, said, that the major purpose of life is to create happiness. So my mission is to create happiness for myself, for my family, for my students, um, for anybody who, who I touch. And I've said it several times that after all these years of teaching and administering, it comes down to some simple truths that if you wanna uh, create happiness, you have to be optimistic, you have to be positive, you have to be enthusiastic, uh, you have to be understanding and kind. If you can help people to do those things or be that yourself, then you're gonna be successful. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm talking, I'm, I said I wanna answer your question. So <laughs> I, have a, I have a question for you. Absolutely, go for it. What's your personal mission? Oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. I had a feeling we we, we might have uh, dived, uh, that we were going to dive into that. <laughs> Alan, you go first. Uh, of course, the father always has to go first. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we have a big group um, yeah, here, Randy, and I'm always seen as the father figure here, <laughs> you know, or the papa bear, if you will. Um, so I'll go first. My personal mission statement... Um, you know, it's funny, like, I have spoke about it before, and uh, I won't tell you word for word, but I'll tell you the idea of what it means to me right now in this very moment. Um, it's for myself to persevere and through any situation, any hard- hardship, any conflict, not for the sake of wanting to get over it, but for the sake of knowing that there's a learning that comes out of it. And that learning, all right, can be transferred later down the road, not only to myself, but all those around me, you know, who I love, who I'm friends with. And people within my own community that I can share, you know, those, that experience with, you know, that knowledge. So 
and that translates, you know, into my future work, you know, in my uh, previous job, um, job postings, as well as, you know, the friends that I have here, uh, and my classmates, my relationships, um, as well as within my own household. So it's universal. And that's the reason why I, I came up with it, uh, to have something that crosses over in every different aspect of life. Mm-hmm. So I practice that day in and day out as best as possible. It's, um, as you already know, you know, it's, uh, it's a goal that you will always, you keep pushing towards and you keep refining as you go along, right? It's infinite, which I, that's what I love about it. You know, it, it never stops. I don't believe that a, a personal mission statement should stop, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, um, it's continuous like that. So that's what mine is. I would say after, what uh two 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 years two and a half years of practicing it you know i've refined it maybe five or six times you know and it continues to do so you know but uh, i'm still sticking with it you know mm-hmm. and each time i look back i can see the progress that's been made and i know like that's what's right for me right there and it feels right on top of that i love that alan thank you thank you thank you <laughs> you want me to go next yeah go <laughs> All right. Mine was um, something along the lines of like um, to live life to the fullest and to uh, go above and beyond my 100% in everything I do. And I think the big thing behind that was just to pretty much not um, not ever look back and have any regrets in, in life and just fully if, if it feels right, if it's something I want to go after it 100% and whether it works out or not, at least I know at the end that I, I gave it my all. I tried to go for that happiness, you know, at the end of the day and I tried to go for what I want. And um, that's just something I think I've, I've practiced um, even I think before I even got to put into words when we learned about mission statement with Ron Thiessen um, a few years, semesters ago. Um, but I think it was just something that sort of um, ever since I wrote that is just something I really stuck with and just something I, I, I try to live by every day and, and give it my all. Mm-hmm. That's Thank you. <laughs> um, mine was to find fulfillment and happiness in both my personal and uh, professional endeavors and much like Alan and and Luca have been saying the thought behind my mission statement was that if something isn't going to help me move forward to reach my goals or if it's not something that is going to make me happy doing that I don't have to do it saying no is okay and yeah just like Luca I don't want to have any regrets in the things that I do so if it makes me happy and it makes me move towards my goals then I know that that's something that I'm gonna be happy and wanting to do nice that is fantastic thank you (laughs) you you are so far ahead um I asked that thinking okay what would have I answered when I was your age, mm. I would have had absolutely no idea. Mm-hmm. So you are light years ahead of where I was. And I've had a marvelous, wonderful life and uh, stumbled through, but you already have that vision. Mm-hmm. And it's not that much different than mine when I listen to you, um, but you, you have, had the luxury of having uh, someone in a class mm-hmm. who has um, forced you, if that's the word, <laughs> encouraged, <laughs> encouraged you, challenged you mm-hmm. to look inward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, 
really too much of what um, universities do is study outward um, mm -hmm. things that are going on rather than outside, rather than things that are going on inside mm -hmm. of us. And when you asked about uh, how applied human sciences got started, um, I am thinking or I'm reminded or right now listening to you that um, I said two of us had things that, that were in common. Mm -hmm. And one of the things, well, the major thing that was in common is we were studying um, ourselves mm -hmm. and our teaching was interactive mm -hmm. and involved students. It was really interesting when we were talking about uh, how we teach. Uh, we were on two different campuses, uh, Applied Social Science on Sir George and Leisure Studies on Loyola. But we were the only departments in the whole university that had uh, open space classrooms mm. where you could uh, move the furniture and have different configurations. Uh, all the other classes were rows and rows of chairs and tables uh, where students came in, sat facing the professor and the professor um, lectured to them. And my definition at that time of a lecture was mm -hmm. uh, the transference of what's on the professor's notes page to what's on the student's note page without anything going on the, in the minds of either. Mm. So don't take that serious. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I mean, in our two departments, we did not... Uh, lecture 100% of the time. It was more than knowledge. So what we realized was that we were changing people in more ways than just uh, uh, knowledge. Mm -hmm. And I know other departments will claim that and, and do that, but uh, this was a 1990s thing when we created the department where there was only interactive space in our department on Loyola and applied social science in uh, at Sir George. Mm -hmm. So thank you for sharing those. That was... Uh, thank you for asking. It was a great <laughs> question. The answers were greater. <laughs> <laughs> I, I totally agree with it all. Like, I think, especially like these last three and a half years, I think this department, I always say this is the, the greatest department and greatest program you go into just because of the fact that it really changed my life. Um, and the three and a half years that I was um, part of this program really like just helped me grow as a person and, and made me better in so many ways, just because of the fact that these courses and the whole program just like pushes you and encourages you to self-reflect and, and challenge yourself in, in many different ways. And the self-awareness that you get at the end, when you come out, the, the three years later is, is honestly mm -hmm. incredible. So mm -hmm. I'll always be so thankful for, for this program and being a part of the Applied Human Sciences because it really did change my life in many ways. So um, so continue on with the, um, the interview here. Um, what, what would you say was the 
what was what was like being a professor versus a chairman like what was the big difference between that within the department there is a big difference no there is a difference but it's not a big difference okay you you still teach Mm -hmm. and that's always um been my first love so i never gave up teaching and um if you understand uh, the position of a department chair in a university is unique in administration because um, if you were in a company and you were the head of a department, people would report to you and in a not in a sense, you would be their boss. Mm-hmm. In a university, the other professors do not report to you. Mm-hmm. You're not their boss you are their representative. And so it's the best of all worlds because um, when you're moving forward within the university and trying to represent the department, you represent all of the professors, not just yourself, not just some of them. And that's a real, real challenge because um, we had a Dean once who said any gathering of university professors is a gathering of oddballs. Mm -hmm. So that (laughs) you have people who think differently. Wonderful. Um, We're all people think alike. No one thinks very much. So when you're trying to represent all of this this different thinking outside of the department, you have that challenge to not forget that uh, on the one side you have this thought pattern and on the other side you have that thought pattern and you better Mm -hmm. represent both. Mm -hmm. Um, We were known within the university um, as the touchy-feely department, (laughs) you know. We're still known as that. (laughs) Still known. Oh yeah, it's going strong. There was a time uh, when that was a negative and people poo-pooed it. And you talk about change. I lived through that because um, I heard from uh, different faculties and and our students were um, laughed at in other departments, uh, in other classes, in some cases. I'm not talking about this being massive, but Um, I have lots of stories of incidents where our fantastic students blew Mm -hmm. uh, people away by being the best students in a class, uh, which was not an I applied human sciences class. Mm -hmm. Uh, And my mind is just wondering, we had a dean once who called me and said, uh, I am so ticked off at you. And I thought, "Uh oh, what's coming? He said, you know, um, I teach this class. It's my favorite class to teach. And um, I have students that are from uh, my department for the most part. And at the end of the uh, semester, I uh, said to the best student in the class, I am so happy that you're a part of the history department. You're a wonderful student. And she said, no, I'm in applied human sciences. So uh-huh. the dean 
recognize, oh, wow, you guys have fantastic students. And we did, we did. Our best um, ambassadors were our students going out and taking classes in all aspects of the university. Um, at one point in time, leisure studies was an interdisciplinary studies program that was back in the 70s. Mm -hmm. And they took courses in management, in sociology, psychology, mm -hmm. philosophy, history. And they did very, very well in those classes. So the fact that we had bright, um, intelligent, enthusiastic students um, didn't do us any harm. And so what you experience today, I'm sure, is not the same, can I use the word discrimination, that uh, students uh, received 20, 30 years ago. And we continue to attract uh, fantastic students. Now, I had a point when I started this, and I got sidetracked. No so uh, I'm sorry. No, it's all good. It's okay. <laughs> so your question was, what was the difference between being a, a department chair and administrator and being a professor? And I, I wandered through that, but uh, um, I love both. I said that my number one passion was teaching. Mm -hmm. But uh, being a part of those early years of applied uh, human sciences and seeing it grow and seeing my colleagues say, whoa, where are we going? When we created applied human sciences, there were 11 faculty members uh, in the department. Now, that's, that's not true. There were 11, 11 tenure track full-time faculty members and a multitude of uh, part-time faculty. And the part-time faculty are a very, very important part because uh, they bring a, a different element to uh, the department with their uh, outside the university interests, interests and experiences. But uh, there, we were 11 full-time faculty, which has a a cost factor to it, of course. Mm -hmm. uh, by the time I uh, finished as chair, we were 23 full-time faculty and our student population had grown, uh, had doubled. And so our resources had doubled. So we were able to give the same quality attention to um, interacting with students as we were as smaller departments, but now we were one of the bigger kids on the block hmm. without suffering from being a bigger kid. <laughs> How about that? Yeah, and we got our own space uh, as a result. Mm -hmm. uh, the whole space now is all interactive space with breakout rooms and uh, I heard on one of your previous uh, podcasts, you're kidding about sitting in a circle. <laughs> you better believe that's the way to learn. <laughs> that depicts that we're all equal in this learning yes. process. I mm -hmm. mean, it's not one person up there in a special position. Everybody has a lot to offer 
And uh, the only difference between you and me is that I've uh, studied longer than you and stumbled more often than you have, but you're, you'll get to those stumbles. <laughs> so that's a long answer to a short, <laughs> short question. It's a great answer though. It's okay. Yeah. So I actually, um, you mentioned in your introduction that you've, you've done a lot of things. So you've been a professor, you've been a chair of the department, you've mentioned coaching, and you also mentioned the Elder Hostel Canada, which is something that we've kind of looked at a little bit, but we would love for you to share more about that. Okay. Um, this starts back in the early 80s. Uh, one of the professors in our department, Ross Seaman, who was an older adult at the time, um, but you wouldn't have known it, he um, and his wife went to this um, special seniors program in Newfoundland, mainly because they wanted to go to Newfoundland uh, to visit, but it was a, an elder hostel program. And what is elder hostel? It's uh, learning programs for older adults. Mm -hmm. uh, it began um, by a, a professor who was backpacking in Europe and seeing how the, uh, not this is a professor in the United States, seeing how the uh, um, youth hostels worked there and how uh, he was using those to travel. Mm -hmm. When he returned, he said, we've got all these residences on our campus um, empty and um, in the summertime. And we've got a bunch of professors who don't teach in the summertime because summer semester is basically very small. Mm -hmm. So he put together the idea that uh, seniors are still interested in learning. And we could uh, invite seniors to campus, have them stay in our residence, and um, ask some of the professors to teach. Well, that grew like wildfire. And so when um, Ross and his wife came back, he was so excited about it. We sat down and said, let's try it here. Hmm. So we were the first university in Montreal to try it. Mm -hmm. And the first year was um, so exciting. We did so many things. And these people who were uh, coming to campus were such fantastic learners. Um, they wanted to know more. I twisted the arm of one of our historians to teach a class for us. And he said, uh, well, Fast forward to the next year, he called me and he said, are you doing that again? <laughs> he said, yeah. He said, can I teach again? That was, that was exciting. Was and a he, told me a, he told me a story about talking about the Second World War and a battle that he was talking about. And somebody in the group put up his hand and said, I was there. And he said, wow. whoa. Oh. What a learning experience for me to have someone mm -hmm. who was in the uh, armed forces at the time and attending. So now 
that's how it started. And that's more than I wanted to say. But my involvement was I fell in love with working with older adults. And, um, you know, it's that old story. Uh, yesterday, I didn't know what an older adult was, and now I are one. And uh, it's been a just I was a part of the growth of that. Mm-hmm. Um, to the point that I was on the uh, national board of Elder Hostel International. And I was a vice president for Elder Hostel Canada. Um, So that's my Elder Hostel story. But if you're curious, I spent five years as the director of recreation for the Canadian penitentiaries. We were going to get to that. So... So you knew, oh, you've read about this somewhere. I'm <laughs> We looked you up. Oh, you did. <laughs> oh, okay. okay. Well, you mentioned that, but that, that was one of the most fascinating experiences of my life. Um, it was one of the most frustrating experiences of my life. Mm-hmm. I went from being a, well, there was an article in the newspaper. I went from being in the ivory tire of the university to the dungeon of the um, um, the dungeon of our society. Oh, so boy. I went from being a professor to be working with inmates. And the working with inmates was fascinating. And that's where um, <clears throat> I learned a lot about... Uh, criminality and criminal justice and so on and um, the frustrating part of that was working in the um, working as a functionaire as a civil servant because the massive federal government system it's really hard to achieve anything because there's so many roadblocks and Mm -hmm. so many things to stop you but um I started with the people working in the field, the leisure education program, because um, in the research that I was doing, found that um, um, the majority of inmates got in trouble uh, doing something when they were leisuring, you know, just Mm -hmm. for fun out there. Or a lot of the people were in there for drug abuse. Um, and which is recreational drugs. I mean, why do people uh, do that? Mm-hmm. So um, after five years, I said, uh, I can't, can't achieve what I want to or I need to achieve. So I came back to teaching at uh, Concordia. And w- what was your ultimate goal that you wanted to achieve working uh, for Corrections Canada? I wish I had a good answer for that. Um, <laughs> I was I was teaching at Concordia at the time when mm-hmm. uh, they contacted me to Would you like to interview for this position? And uh, I looked at the letter and said, "This is crazy. <laughs> Why the hell would I want to take a job like that?" 
But I said to, to my wife, I'm going to go for the interview just for fun. And I know you're talking about how, how to uh, present yourself in an interview. I studied very, very hard the criminal justice system in Canada, the Solicitor General's office, how Corrections Canada worked. And so I, I knew a lot about that organization going in. And I had a lot of questions as to how this was going to work. And so I, they had a, a very large group of interviewers from not just from Corrections Canada, but from Recreation Canada and from uh, Fitness Canada and all these different um, bodies within the Canadian government. Mm -hmm. And so the person conducting the interview asked me a question to begin with, do you have any questions? And so I unloaded all these questions and uh, after an hour or more, um, I had, they had only been answering my questions. Oh my God. Then <laughs> uh, the person who uh, was in charge of it said to the people there, anybody have any questions for him? Not a question. So I, oh, I wow. left, uh, I came home and I was laughing. I said, this is crazy. It was fascinating mm -hmm. to hear what their goals uh, are. When they answered my questions, mm -hmm. I found out what their goals were. And so um, my goal was after, well, okay. So I said to my wife that um, that was crazy. It was fun, but they're never going to look at me. I don't, I'm not uh, cut from the corrections cloth. So a week later, I got the offer and, oh man, I struggled. Why did it? My goal was to go in there to make change, to change what was a um, recreation program for inmates, which was um, put them out there and let them let the steam off so that they're not mm -hmm. going to cause any problem. And play a hockey game that's the roughest hockey game you're ever going to, floor hockey game you're ever mm -hmm. going to see in your life. Um, you know, just no purpose to it other than occupying time. And after all, in a penitentiary, time is of the essence. That's what they're doing is time. Mm -hmm. And so um, I went in the, with the idea of, okay, and I guess um, I did make some changes. The hiring pattern of people who were, would be working there Um went from being um, guards, good people, but no professional background in recreation, establishing a uh, leisure studies program, establishing a format as to what we were trying to accomplish. Mm -hmm. um, but it was like banging your head against the wall to try to get something done. A frustration, mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, th I think um, changes slow, slow, slow in organizations. If there was a incident in a penitentiary, it went to lockdown, and anything to do with um, um, 
recreation, uh, leisure behavior, it was cut off immediately. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's kind of like you have to fall back, like going back to square one. I can imagine. Yes. Yeah. You get one step forward and two steps back. Right. The opposite, you know, so. And uh, there's a, a security need in penitentiaries. Mm-hmm. Uh, absolutely. And security rules. And so anybody working in this area um, was secondary. You know, what you're doing is the most important thing is that is it secure? And I don't know where it is now. That's That was quite a while ago in my life. But my uh, frustration coming out of there was relieved in coming back to a university where people were interested in moving forward. So wow. it was tough. But a great, great experience and some great people working within that system. Um, mm-hmm. They have a tough time what they're doing. I imagine so. That's big. Um, this is just out of my, my own curiosity. Um, you're probably the second or maybe the third person I've ever met to have worked in a penitentiary, um, or in this case for Corrections Canada. Um, did you ever have, like, I mean, well, I mean, were you ever frightened, you know, do, uh, in the environment, especially from the re- onset? And how did your feelings, you know, working in a penitentiary evolve over time? <laughs> That's really a great question because... I try. My very first introduction to penitentiaries, um, the person who had chaired the uh, interview called me up uh, hadn't started officially yet but said i'm going out to visit uh, the uh, maximum security penitentiary north of montreal oh wow Uh, i want you to come along i wanted to introduce you to the people working in the recreation department to the uh, director um, and just see what it's like so Okay, that's great. And I'm completely oblivious. It's a penitentiary, okay, for people. So we uh, drive up and uh, within uh, two kilometers of the uh, penitentiary, it's completely open fields. There's not a thing in sight. So there's a visual perimeter to it. And there's a road leading in and we get stopped by a um, security officer who gets out of the car with his gun pulled and says, uh, okay, what's your purpose here? And uh, the directors told him, um, this is the director of the department I was going to be with in Ottawa. Mm And so he showed his badge and said, I didn't have a badge yet. And then they looked me over. And so, okay, I'm thinking, hmm, this is interesting. We pull up <laughs> to the parking area and I see a, a guard standing in a tower with a machine gun. 
looking down to see what we're doing. I see the double fencing with the slash wire around it, slash wire, razor wire. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, hmm, this is getting a little more. So I'm, you talked about anxiety in one of your sessions. I'm a little anxious. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm still, yeah. still pretty good. So we go through, go up to the gate, and one gate slides open, you know, huge uh, fence gate that's 12 feet high, and you go in, it closes behind you, and then the other gate on the other side of the, the fencing opens, and you go in, and then you go to a um, little... Uh, welcome spot but uh, you know welcome (laughs) and you go through um, security and questions and um, empty your pockets and you go through a metal detector and now you're inside the welcome center but you're still there's a huge iron gate in front of you which opens and we go in and we meet the uh, director. He's called a director, not a warden in Canada. And uh, have a nice chat and said, uh, okay, I'm going to meet with the director a little more, but uh, the guard will take you down to meet with the recreation people. So I did. And I'm seeing people in the hallways who are uh, workers or inmates. They're all dressed the same. They don't wear special inmates clothing and um, go to the, the gymnasium, mm-hmm. which is a fair sized gymnasium uh, and meet the recreation people who were standing in the middle of the gymnasium, just the, uh, there was three of us, two of them and me. And uh, then I hear above me some noises and I look up and there's a walkway cage and two guards come in and sit down at either end of the cage and they have their machine guns and they have machine gun point ports that they're looking through. And they, they tell me, well, the inmates are coming now. So you asked me if I was <laughs> frightened. Oh boy. I'm standing on the floor oh with nothing but my bare hands. <laughs> And there's two armed guards in the cage above me. And I'm in a maximum security penitentiary in Canada, which um, I was scared. (laughs) But I I wasn't smart enough to be scared. I was shitting myself. Fair enough. So, so yes. But that's the short answer. But after that, I discovered that I was one of the good guys. Oh. And the inmates knew that I could bring good things to them because they wanted to have better recreation uh, opportunities. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so they were very friendly to me. I was never, I even uh, got to take um inmates with me when we were doing speaking uh events 
so that they had uh, a day pass and I was their security, hmm. but they weren't, well, they weren't dangerous and I wasn't afraid or frightened of being with them. I had meetings with the inmates committees. There are, at that time, there were 95 institutions in Canada and I visited them all and spent wow. time at each of them. Um, a lot of them annually to not to meet, well, to meet with inmates committees and, you know, Canada has a minimum, medium and maximum and super maximum a security system and so um, there were lots of opportunities for me to interact and I actually became friendly and corresponded with a few of the inmates and I never really wanted to know what they were in there for because mm -hmm. that would have skewed my thinking mm -hmm. uh, and I did some research with the uh, professor from the University of Ottawa at the time and uh, we discovered some interesting things like I mentioned earlier that uh, or did I mention that the majority of the inmates were in for um, crimes that they had committed while at leisure so wow yes I was frightened <laughs> <laughs> That's something, Randy, you know, just thinking about that, but you, you worked through it and you, you found a means of communicating with them, you know, uh, or in this case, connecting, you know, to, you know, the, the very people that you were, that you put into to help out. And I, I think that's very unique, you know, especially from day one, you know, to how you grow and yeah. the, despite your frustration, I mean, you did it and you can say that you did it. And here you are sharing, you know, that fascinating tale. Um, yeah. yeah. And you talk about communicating. I, I, I was a non-smoker. I am a non-smoker. But the form of uh, greeting in the penitentiaries at the time was cigarettes, and that was the form of money. Mm -hmm. um, and so when I went to a penitentiary, I would put a package of cigarettes in my pocket and when you meet somebody, okay. have a cigarette. And that was the friendly communication to start with. Yeah, we tell, imagine that tells them like, hey, Randy's all right, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and I was uh, doing weight training at the time for my own personal um, health. Mm -hmm. I, um, not, not a big weight trainer, but I was pretty, uh, I could lift quite a bit. And so I'd put my uh, gym clothes on and go down uh, and lift weights with the inmates. Mm. And when they saw how much I could lift, uh, I was okay. All right. <laughs> That's wonderful. So things like that. Uh, I had a hard, harder time communicating with security than I did with the inmates. Oh, that's fascinating. Because, yeah. because I was trying to make things better for the inmates and that caused security some problems. Anytime you give more freedom, you know, you know, there's more of a chance of a, a problem for security. Mm -hmm. The best security is just to warehouse the people and, and then you don't have problems and just keep them in their cells. And, and I, you know, there's a lot of good people who work for security too, but the two things... Um, fight one another. Wow. 
I love this interview uh, in all the different directions that we, we've gone in here and for you taking the time to explore that with us. Um, we are going to be wrapping up in a, in a few minutes, Randy, but I did want to ask you just for, just for two more little things here. The first being um, knowing that you have had, you know, what sounds like ultimately a wonderful, you know, time, you know, teaching, you know, facilitating, coaching, um, and all different aspects of life, you know, for students, the inmates, the families, your communities, um, and how that all, you know, connects. What is one piece of advice that you could offer um, literally everyone that's listening to this podcast and students within our own department or, and, you know, those within um, just um, in any demographic, you know, like whether they are in their uh, elderly years, you know, or they're in their twenties like us, one thing, you know, that is just universal to you that you would like to share. Yeah, that's interesting. I'm, I'm not sure I've ever been asked that question. But I, I think, listen, mm -hmm. listen. And I don't mean here. So many times when you're uh, in a conversation, you're thinking about how you're going to respond to the person. And so you're really not listening. You're getting prepared either to um, um, answer what you uh, want to answer about it, uh, even though you may not be asked the questions mm -hmm. or refute what the person is saying and you're thinking of arguments. But I would say here, uh, listen, not here, listen to what the person is saying. And as they're saying something to you, mm -hmm. ask yourself, what is it that they're saying to me? I mean, um, sometimes there's a, an underlying meaning, often there's an underlying meaning in what people say. And so uh, listen. And then um, if you, if you um, hear what they're saying and understand what they're saying, ask them a question to clarify, um, what do you mean? Why are you asking this? Or mm -hmm. what is it meaning to you? Not, not giving the answer. Mm -hmm. And that's, uh, I have grandchildren. And that's a real interesting strategy in talking with younger people. Mm -hmm. Because they often will ask a question and they have an idea, which is, sometimes more interesting than what I would have said in answer to the question. But um, just off the top of my head, listen. I love that. Listen. I love that. Listen. Yeah. Oh. Nice and simple. It is. It's key. But yeah, many of us mess it up, you know, all the time. And I think that's the, that that is the challenge of life, you know, but a healthy challenge at that. And, and, I'll be very honest, I've messed it up many, many times thinking I knew better than what I was hearing and not listening. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's some advantage with getting older. Mm 
You do get a little wiser rather than a good answer. As a professor is, I don't know. Mm -hmm. And too often, um, people expect the professor to know. Mm. Even if if you ask me a question about leisure right now, um, there are many, many things that I might say I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know the answer to this. I have said, and I haven't taught for three years now, but uh, in my last years of teaching, I have said to the students I was teaching, um, well, I'll give you a little background. A first-year student learns the definition of leisure and learns all the different uh, uh, people who have defined it over the years. So that's that's standard. That was standard when I was studying. That's standard today. But I revealed to my uh, students that I had been studying leisure for 40 years before I understood what it meant, what it is. And I'll give you uh, an inside track that you don't have to late, wait 40 years. Pleasure oh. is, a, is a verb. If you use it as a verb, then you'll understand much better what it is. It's not an adjective. Well, it is an adjective, but it's used as an adjective. It's an adverb. It's used as an adverb. It's a noun, and it's most often used as a noun. Mm-hmm. I, my leisure is, is hockey. Mm-hmm. Um, that's meaningless. If I said, when I play hockey, I leisure. Aha, now I see you're getting that thoughtful look on your face. So anyhow. Um, I was thrilled with uh, reading students' papers in the last 10 years of my mm-hmm. career of teaching, um, of reading how they used leisure as a verb. Hmm. I like that. And I, I, think mm-hmm. I, influenced, I think I influenced my colleagues also. Well, I'm going to be honest, I think you influenced me too, because... Uh... I think one of our first correspondents, you said, oh, hi, Alan, sorry for not seeing your email. I was out leisuring, you know, right? And I said, oh, okay, all right. Like, I like how you how you applied it, you know, and to what that means. Like, I mean, that, that can mean everything and anything, you know, what Randy Sweetberg is doing in his life. But <laughs> um, I think there's a great essence to that at the end mm-hmm. of the day, right? And how that's in um, its interpretation Right. And I could only imagine, you know, like having you just said that you've had, especially the last 10 years of having students take a look um, or having them explain to you what their interpretation of that is. And with your 40 years of experience regarding leisure, it's just, yeah, there's not one size fits all. There are many sizes. And I think that's the beauty there. Uh, Yes. And I am leisuring right now. Hey. Well put. Well, so so put that into your thoughts and and recognize that it's not playing hockey or playing cards or painting. It is how I am experiencing this, and it's been a great uh, leisure experience for me. That's great to hear, Randy. 
happy right. to hear. Very, very happy. Yeah. Um, all right, so we're going to wrap it up. Uh, Randy, as you have listened to a few or several episodes of our podcast now, from what it sounds like, we have uh, you know, our little tagline that we love our guests you know, to say at the end, if you would do us the honors. Yeah. You know what it is, I believe? I think I've already mentioned it. You did. <laughs> you did. Driving change forward. That's right. <laughs> yes. You got it, Randy. You got it. Yeah. You know, and you were so a part keep, of that process today. Keep driving. Thank you. Thank we you. will. Thank you. Likewise. Thank you. All right, Randy. So have a great day. Luca, you take too. it away. Uh, yeah, I just want to thank you once again, Randy, for coming on the podcast. And uh, thank you for everything you've done for the Applied Human Science Department. Like uh, like I said, it, made a, it has made a huge difference in my life. And I'm sure it has impacted and changed so many others for such a better uh, within their own life. So thank you for everything you have done also, Randy. Um, and for those listening on YouTube, hit that subscribe button. Turn on the post notification. If you're on our platform, hit that follow button. And thank you all for listening. Peace have out. a great day. Bye-bye. Thank you.